following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. The pipes are laid. You have the platforms that are the dominant connective tissue. I think we have established that Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat in some way, shape, or form are going to be the platforms for the next several decades that are going to be the the webbing of the internet. And I think that it is an inevitability that the next great brands are going to have to understand how to build for those platforms. Uh, and, And if you don't, then you're missing out on the entire next generation of consumers. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, great guest. We have Ben Lear, who is the CEO and founder of Group 9 and also the managing partner at Lear Hippo Ventures. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You got that perfectly right. I know. Just 20 20 takes and we're all set. Yeah, right. You know, this is great because about 10 years ago, we first met and we, I did an interview. And back then, I was a student at NYU and I was doing a school project. And you were starting a little email list called Thrillist. And we met then. And you know, fast forward 10 years, you're doing all these big things. And I'm basically still doing school reports. So this is, this is, this is good. <laughs> it's so crazy how time flies. I, right? I mean, that's terrifying. It's we nuts. knew each other when we were little kids. And now we're both horribly old and have multiple children. We have little kids of our own. Yep. Um, let's talk about Group Nine because it's more of like a, it's a holding company in a way of many projects that I th- or products and platforms that our listeners probably know. Of. So, kind of take me through that first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're uh, like you said, a holding company. We we own four brands today, and so we own Thrillist, uh, now this, the Dodo, and Seeker. And the idea is that. There's been massive shifts that have come to media over the last five or ten years. This week. Um, right, right. And over the last five or ten minutes. And uh, we sort of think that what's happening right now is uh, in some way, shape, or form similar to what happened in the 80s with the sort of shift from broadcast to cable and with the rise of cable television where you had this technological change, which at that point was uh, the ability to distribute a cable signal, mm-hmm. um, which led to the creation of all the cable networks that we sort of grew up with um, and ultimately led to the creation of the cable conglomerates, Disney and Time Warner and Discovery, et cetera. And as you look at the shift that's happened now, there's a- another change in technology, which is uh, sort of the advent of broadband, which led to smartphones and has led to social media. Yep. And you now have a generation of people who uh, are growing up with social being uh, the first screen, sort of, or, or mobile being the first screen, but social being uh, the cable pipes for yeah. a new generation of consumers. Yeah, and, it's like a web within the web. Yeah, and our belief is that uh, the next generation of great media companies is going to not be built by uh, creating cable networks, but is going to be built by creating networks that live uh, across these social platforms. And so each of our brands are sort of among the biggest in their categories, similar to the way a cable network would own a category of content, uh, focused on uh, going to where 
folks are. And so instead of building sort of owned and operated websites, uh, the focus is to create content that is native to each of these platforms. And so collectively, we've built a really massive footprint and brands that uh, matter to this next generation of folks that are not uh, going to, that sort of have grown up with a smartphone in their pocket and have a different relationship mm-hmm. with linear TV. And just taking a moment to thank our supporters, Veridesk, Amica Insurance, and Rocket Mortgage. More about these companies later in the show. So give me kind of a quick rundown of those four channels. Yeah, so Thrillist uh, is the brand that I started a very long time ago. Um, Thrillist sort of grew up with Facebook, launched around the same time as Facebook, and Thrillist is all about experiences. So uh, if you think about 15 or 20 years ago, sort of the value of a life was measured in what you possessed. And um, the new world that we live in with the sharing economy, uh, sort of this Instagram this Instagram life is, it's all about experiences. It's yeah. about the things that you do, not the things that you own. And Thrillist celebrates that. And, uh, so it's like food, drink, travel. Yeah, food, drink, and travel I, and, and sort of entertainment are the sort of core verticals. But, uh, but broadly speaking, it's about celebrating uh, getting out of bed every day and mm-hmm. participating and doing fun things and loving your life. And, and Thrillist has built a big audience doing that. Uh, and... I think the the thing that's that I love about Thrillist is that it's not built around advertising categories. It's built around consumer interest. It's built around something that's important to people, which is being happy and enjoying life. And that's a shared uh, that's a shared quality that all of our brands have, which is not mm-hmm. being built advertiser first, being built consumer first. And so, um, another of our brands is the Dodo, which I think is a perfect example of that. The Dodo is a brand for animal people. So. Uh, the first thing that you think of when thinking of building a media company is not, oh, well, animals have huge endemic advertising bases, and that's the first place we should go. But the reality is the the human relationship with animals is uh, so powerful. There are more pets than there are children in the United States. Hmm. Um, it is uh, it is such a massively personal and emotional and important category, and the Dodo has built a brand that really owns that relationship. So is it news – like, you know, there's – there's like I'm thinking of old cable like Animal Planet, but that was are these stories. Of, is it for tips or pen owners? Is a is it me, acute media of so like it's puppy a, it, videos? And, it's it's everything. Yeah. So I think the idea is it's celebrating uh, animals and and people's relationship with animals. And so there are lots of cute puppy videos, and there is uh, Dodo Impact, which is focused on conservation and focused on. Uh, on, on helping animals and focused on, you know, telling stories about the mistreatment of animals mm-hmm. and focused on getting rid of puppy mills and things of that nature, sort of more activism focused. But that's not the sort of the core of the brand. That's an offshoot of the brand. The core of the brand is about loving animals, mm-hmm. celebrating the relationships between species, the relationships that people have with their animals. Um, and uh, you mentioned Animal Planet. Animal Planet is, is owned by Discovery Communications, which is the largest investor in Group 9, hmm. uh, sort of the founding investor of Group 9. Uh, they put in, uh, they've now put in about $130 million wow. into the company. Um, and uh, in March, uh, or we actually were figuring out the date, but at some point soon, we uh, are launching a show on Animal Planet called Dodo Heroes, which is, uh, which is really exciting. It's, uh, it fits with our strategy around sort of um, multi-screen publishing, but it is an example of that partnership at work. And that show is about uh, people who go above and beyond to do amazing things for animals hmm. and help animals and 
and I think it, it fits really perfectly into sort of exactly what the Dota was all about. And when we'll go the other way, I'm sure Animal Planet has so much cut stuff on the they have so much content. Are there are they carving up things that work well on on the mobile screen and kind of like content share back and forth or not? Yeah, there's there's some of that. I think the the reality is that. Uh, we're, we're, there are certain places where we're partnering very deeply and these other places where we're partnering less deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're sort of, the, the goal is to be partnering very deeply in, in every place, but we sort of prioritized uh, where we are going to get started. And there is some content sharing between the two, but the reality is Animal Planet is fantastic at making a certain format of content and a, and a longer form, uh, really made for TV kind of content. Okay. The Dodo has really cut its teeth figuring out how to create amazing content for uh, different kinds of consumption across mm-hmm. these various social channels. And the idea is over time, how do we work together to sort of bridge that gap? And I think Dodo Heroes is probably going to be the first really big example of creating programming that is mel- is made for multiple different kinds of screens. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be versions of Dodo Heroes that are living on Facebook and living in Snapchat, as well as a version of Dodo Heroes that is living uh, on linear TV. Cool. And then you have now this news, which is kind of like the mobile CNN. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's mobile CNN is a, is very much sort of the principle under which it was founded. Mm-hmm. The idea of, uh, news everywhere that you live, uh, versus sort of programmed for, a you know, a lean back cable network. I think the thing that we found with, uh, living on these platforms is that, uh, the issues that audiences are interested in are not necessarily the issues that most of CNN's coverage is focused on. And so uh, now this is a collection of communities uh, that are sort of tight knit and, and very with with very different editorial voices and viewpoints. And so, you know, one of those is, uh, is now this her, Mm -hmm. which is focusing on women's issues and women's empowerment um, and it is a community of women and stories about empowering women um, and empowered women. And uh, we're going deep into specific areas of lifestyle versus sort of generalized, commoditized news. And I don't mean that to take a swipe at CNN. I just mean mm-hmm. um, it's uh, the stories that now this covers. We will lightly cover off on the sort of quote unquote news of the day, but much more deeply go and study uh, and go and sort of break stories that are um, really about humanity and really about people, um, and and not necessarily the the mainstream news. And so it's a, it's a different uh, it's a different set of stories that we're telling, and a very different style of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And seeker, and seeker is really about science okay. um, and science and STEM. Um, again, another category. I think all of these categories are uh, we would sort of define as on the rise. So. Um, sort of this next generation of, of kids have a greater interest in these categories than last generation. And uh, with the focus that, that we have on our health um, culturally, with uh, just, the you know, at some point in the past, you know, decade or so, the sort of the nerds became the cool kids. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, Seeker really speaks to that, really speaks to a curious, um, thoughtful, uh, group of this next generation really embedded in sort of education. Uh, and, uh, you know, with each of our brands, they are, um, the biggest or the, you know, the second biggest in their respective categories, um, across the entire social web. And when you add up the collective scale of them, the idea is 
just like a cable holding company, you have brands that are for somebody, not for everybody, but a good cable holding company, when you mm-hmm. add up those somebodies, you get to everybody. And yeah. so you're able to deliver the kind of scale that advertising partners care about. You're del- able to deliver the scale that the platforms that distribute your content uh, really care about. And in our case, and specifically in a world where uh, the the sort of data and insights of content creation uh, can't be decoupled from distribution, mm-hmm. uh, creation and distribution are sort of intrinsically linked on these platforms. Uh, one of the sort of underlying uh, points of differentiation and, and advantages for us is the idea that we're creating so much content across so many channels. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes interview podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask, why? Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to the rate and term in real time? And why can't there be client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. There's been so much discussion, you know, we're we're early in 2018, but there's been some big um, conversations by influential people about just what we talked about, how Technology and these platforms, the Facebooks, you know, Googles, you, you name it, are a key source of people's news. And you have everything from Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg talking about Russian interference and fake news, and now saying that you know Facebook is not fun anymore, and so they're going to change the news feeds from news and kind of try to prop up your friends and keep it more, more, more relationship driven, not media driven. Um, and then this week too, you had Rupert Murdoch saying that these companies like Facebook should be paying for content yep. um, like a carrier fee. Um, what do you think? Well, there's <laughs> so there's a lot there. And, yes. uh, and, and lot obviously... A un- lot to unpack there. Yeah. So I think at a very high level, we, uh, going along with the sort of strategy that we're building towards, our belief is that uh, we're in the very early innings of figuring out what the business models on these platforms look like. Mm-hmm. But do believe that as time goes on, we will be moving more in the direction of what Rupert Murdoch talked about, which is uh, a relationship where there is a business model where premium content creators are being compensated uh, more fairly for their work. The reality is I don't think it's going to work the way that Rupert Murdoch was talking about with just a straight carriage fee. Yeah, how does that? What does that mean? Like, if you're not a not a cable cable executive, what does that mean? Well, so so you know, the carriage fee is we're going to pay you for your content, sort of independent of how it performs. Okay, and so we're going to make a commitment to you upfront for many years that we're going to pay you a certain amount of money for your content, and then as and then we'll go and renegotiate a deal down the road. Mm-hmm. And so that's not per view or per ad sales. It's just like, oh, we like. You know, now this news content, so we'll pay you 
making numbers up, like $5 million a month if you just give us all your stuff. And and that works really well in a world where there is so much money. You know, there was just so much money to sort of go around. Yeah. And I think as we move into the new world, what you're going to find is the platforms are going to be willing to pay for premium content. Mm-hmm. Um, they're already starting to do it. And so while most of the sort of media industry is sitting here throwing stones and being very frustrated with Facebook and Snapchat and the platforms, the reality is if you put a pin in where we are today in money that the best publishers are making from Facebook and you put a pin in where we were 12 months ago, there's a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. It has been a really good year. Um, it's not a straight line, but there is progress. And I'm incredibly confident that if we did it a year from now, there will be more progress and more progress. The reality is... Uh, we're not there yet from figuring out what the scalable business model is. But part of this comes back to uh, where these platforms are in their life cycle from a monetization perspective. And mm-hmm. so if you actually look at Facebook, Facebook has built an incredible bottom-of-the-funnel advertising product, um, a product that uh, has opened up advertising. You know, Google and Facebook have both done this, that have opened up long-tail advertisers. So Facebook now has over 5 million advertisers that when you add them up are the the sort of majority of the revenue that runs through Facebook. And then yeah. you've seen big brands obviously spend more and more money in the platform. But Facebook does not have an advertising product right now that legitimately competes with television, which is one of the reasons that you've seen TV advertising revenue continue to grow while audiences have shrunk. And it's because of a lack of an alternative. And Facebook has not yet built that alternative ad product. And that alternative ad product will be Uh, will require a different kind of consumption and more premium video content. And it will be in Facebook's best interest Mm -hmm. to compensate publishers to make that content because it is a prerequisite for them to build that next business. What does TV do that Facebook doesn't? I mean, is it because people tend to watch the commercials and they actually react and pay attention more? Because, like, if, you know, I don't know about you, but I spend, like, you know, eight hours a day on on the web and some, and if you put like a gun to my head, I probably couldn't recall like an ad I saw. I saw millions of uh, thousands of ads, but I used, literally you learn to like look around them. On the TV, if I watch the Patriots game, I bet I can recall, you know, last weekend, I bet I can recall, you know, four or five commercials I saw. So I, 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 I mean, you may be sort of overgeneralizing as a specific person who works that's, in digital that's, that's, media. That's what I do. And, yes, yes. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I definitely understand what you mean. I think that, uh, there is a what television offers is a large captive audience. Theoretically, I, I would say live sports is probably a very nice good right. example yeah. of that. You may not remember an ad that you saw during a show that you TV'd and skipped through the commercials on, yeah. but uh, you you may, and, and that's why you know live sports TV has is a premium, yeah. has a massive premium. Uh, but uh, what I believe we need to get to is a situation where there's an advertising product that is that you can sort of rinse and repeat scalably uh, in Facebook from a video perspective. And so uh, YouTube has built some version of this with mm-hmm. pre-roll advertising. Uh, Facebook has gone and done some tests around mid-roll, some that have worked, some that have been less successful. Facebook's moving in the direction now of testing pre-roll. Um, Obviously, they've made a big investment in the watch tab, um, and and really what watch is about is creating a different kind of consumption habit where people are not just following brands, but they're following pieces of IP. They're following shows. They're watching um, a a kind of programming on sort of a repeated basis. They're building some sort of a community, and uh, what what Facebook 
needs to make that consumption habit work is really good programming. And really good programming costs money. And um, for Facebook to be able to build uh, that business where there's enough scale against a uh, sort of reach and frequency uh, advertising product that that can legitimately rival TV, uh, they're going to need new kinds of content and they're going to need to uh, compensate publishers for it and it's going to be in their best interest too because Mm -hmm. the business that they can build there can be exquisitely large and profitable and so um, I don't think Facebook is going to build a is going to do what Rupert Murdoch said and and uh, just give a carriage fee but I do think that uh, there will be a meritocracy like a where revenue share kind of stuff a revenue share against the publishers that are legitimately able to create sticky content Mm -hmm. and legitimate engagement at scale and traditional media. Um, I understand why Rupert Murdoch would like a carriage fee. Um, I'd like a carriage fee too. Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I think I'm sort of, I'm willing to earn my carriage fee mm-hmm. because I believe that we are better at creating engaging content on Facebook than Rupert Murdoch's companies are with your, with all your, with all your content is Facebook by far the largest um, f- platform for you? It is the largest platform for mm-hmm. us. We're, we have a really big and rapidly growing audience in Snapchat. Mm-hmm. We have a big and growing audience in YouTube and Instagram uh, and Twitter. Um, and so those are definitely sort of the, the five big platforms. One of the reasons that I think the sort of time for our business model has emerged is that, uh, of course, there are platforms that are growing faster than others and there will be new entrants into the market um, you've just seen Spotify make an announcement about what they want to do in voice, for instance, which is probably relevant to this conversation. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, um, the pipes are laid. You have the platforms that are the dominant uh, connective tissue at this point. And so uh, we are, we're past the setting up the game. Mm-hmm. We're now playing the game. It's the early innings, but... Uh, I think we have established that Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat in some way, shape, or form are going to be the platforms for the next several decades that are going to be the the webbing of the internet. And I think that uh, it it is an inevitability that the next great brands are going to have to uh, understand how to build for those platforms. Uh, and, And if you don't, then you're missing out on the entire next generation of consumers. Are they too powerful? I'm mean, not that we can do anything about it, but I mean, a lot of media is saying, you know, media is in not in trouble. It's an exciting time to be media, but at the same time, you know, the the glory days are a lot over, and maybe the glory days should be over. I don't know, but I'm saying is, you know, it's it, we're in a strange place that they have all the power. We're doing all this ton of work, and as you know, you know, every every quarter the the ad rates fall and fall and fall. So you kind of got to work harder to stay in the same place. Um, what do you think is, well, first of all, you know, you rely on these platforms so much and you have Mark Zuckerberg saying, I'm going to tweak the algorithm again and say less news and more your friend stuff. Are you worried about that? Well, so there's a, there's a, a bunch to say about that. So if we're talking specifically about tweaking the algorithm, yeah, we welcome tweaks to the algorithm because we believe that we've built a company that is better positioned to respond to changes more quickly, to process more data and insights, to uh, turn on a dime 
from an editorial perspective, mm-hmm. not in fully rebuilding an editorial strategy. We have brands that at their foundation have reasons to exist, tell stories that matter, are about evoking emotion, that are about starting conversation. Everything that Mark Zuckerberg said about what he wants Facebook to be about, sign us up. Yeah, That is exactly what we've been trying to do forever. And quite frankly, if you're a publisher on Facebook and that wasn't your goal, you don't deserve... You deserve to get decimated by an algorithm change because mm-hmm. you've been building a joke. We have been focused on building real editorial brands with real editorial soul, with real mission um, and real audience. And when there's a tweak, does it mean that in the short term it can be discombobulated or it can be scary? Sure. Yeah. But we are set up to respond. And I would also say that, you know, Mark made that announcement. The whole world freaked I'm I'm happy to say that we didn't freak. And by the way, we're not the only media company that didn't freak. Yeah. I I talked to other folks who I think have built companies with similar skill sets. Like I talked to Jonah at BuzzFeed. He has the same response. He's like, this is sweet. Let's go. Like, this is when we show that we're better than other folks. And uh, and I agree with that. Um, at for that for the record, Ben is a big investor in BuzzFeed. That's true. Yes. <laughs> but but they're probably our biggest competitor yeah. as well. So I'm, I'm not just... Uh, Blowing smoke. Yes. Um, and, and I would say that we're, uh, we are in a position uh, to, to be successful there. The fact is Mark came back a week later and after that whole thing said news is going to go from 5% to 4%. It's like, okay, we're talking about a 20% reduction yeah. for the whole news category now. So not shut down your company because there's no more news in Facebook. One. Two, we're going to focus on reputable publishers Brands that are essentially adding value, creating value, that is a place where we know we check that box. Mm-hmm. Um, we have true editorial integrity. Um, we're not a commodity news generation. We're telling inspiring stories. We have more comments, more shares, more likes than any other media company in the entire world in Facebook, literally. We know how to start conversations. More shares of any... Yeah, we are the most engaged with media company and social media in the entire world. And we'll be right back after this quick break. This year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old. It hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veridesk Active Workspace solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. Veridesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veridesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veridesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied See it for yourself at veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I desk.com. And the Forbes Interview Podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto, Home and Life Insurance. When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. 
Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. How many stories do you, does um, Group 9 put out a day, you would say? We are creating somewhere in the neighborhood of one to 200 videos a day. And you're all videos? Uh, not all videos, but, but most, a vast majority yeah. video. And how, like, you know, as you know, videos take a lot of time, take a lot of staff, take a lot of money. How many employees and people, are these freelancers, are these full-time employees, who's creating all this stuff? We're about 600 people today at 600. the company. Yeah. Um, about half or more than half of them are in content creation, mm-hmm. and a vast majority of those are in video content creation. Um, there is a huge amount of content that we're licensing and uh, and repackaging. There's a huge amount of original production. Uh, it's uh, The strategies are going to be different by brand, by channel, by sort of, you know, editorial focus. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is let's tell the best story in the best format and the best way that we can. Um, let's use a bunch of data to help inform what we think is right uh, and constantly sort of iterate on the way that we're uh, the way that we're creating and the way that we're distributing. Um, it's expensive. It is absolutely expensive, uh, but uh, it it works because of a combination of, of sort of monetization streams, money from the platforms, a big branded content business, a growing uh, licensing business, creating content and actually selling it to other platforms, mm-hmm. a la the Dodo Hero Show. Uh, and we're, uh, I think we're in the very early innings of unlocking the dollars direct from the platforms that's very high margin and that theoretically um, at scale uh, totally changes these businesses. But even without the scale, the growth there is is real if you have brands that matter and real scale on these platforms mm-hmm. and if you know how to take advantage of it. And so, uh, you know, Facebook has sort of uh, launched and sunset a bunch of different monetization uh, tools for publishers over the last few years. We've been able to make all of them work in some way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. And the reason they sunset them is that they haven't worked for most publishers. Um, the thing that's exciting for us is the goal of Facebook, the goal of what Facebook is trying to do right now is to find scalable monetization for all publishers. Mm-hmm. If it works for all or all good, boy, are we going to benefit. It works for them. Quick, quick, I mean, this is changing so much. I want to talk a little bit about your background because you, your father is, uh, Ken Lear, is a you know me, uh, media veteran, executive entrepreneur, him along with our vice chairman, Mike Perlis, were very involved in getting Huffington Post off the ground and BuzzFeed. Um, I know you work a lot with the guys from Vice and everything. What do you do like when you want to create? First of all, what was, what's it like growing up in a media household? Well, it's funny. I didn't. It wasn't really a media household. When I was a kid, my dad um, had started and was building a, a crisis communications firm that he built my whole childhood. And so while his clients were media companies or some of them were media companies. And he was obviously very involved with the media. He wasn't actually building mm-hmm. media brands or working at media brands for much of my childhood. Uh, he was probably just trying to deflect media brands the entire time. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, but he always had a deep passion for politics and a deep passion for the media. Um, and it was really, uh, 
coming out of school, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went and I worked in hospitality. I worked mm-hmm. for, for a boutique hotel company. And then uh, he started the Huffington Post within weeks of me starting Thrillist, totally independent of one mm-hmm. another. But um, we both got the bug. And I think the bug was, it was a, it was a media bug, but it was also a... Uh, a sort of disruption bug. It was just both of us in very different ways felt that content consumption and distribution and creation was changing. It was like 05, 06 kind of thing? Yep, exactly. And it was just this moment where a bunch of change was coming. And um, particularly in New York, there was, uh, which is such a media town, um, New York was sort of starting to become a tech town mm-hmm. and, a, and a VC town and, you, and money was starting to flow in. And um, my peers... And, you know, buddies from college were, uh, instead of wanting to go to work on Wall Street or go to back to law school, suddenly wanted to work in technology yeah. and wanted to be entrepreneurs. And um, I just was excited about the idea of starting something myself. I might grown up in a, in a home where my dad was an entrepreneur more mm-hmm. than a media person. And so I was drawn to making my own way. Um, and then the success that, you know, he had at HuffPo and the, and the sort of uh, more... Uh, tempered success that I was having at Thrillist, although mm-hmm. success was, uh, was exciting and, 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 you know, timing matters. And it just so happened that, you know, I started Thrillist around the same time that Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook, Facebook yeah. and uh, <laughs> that created a, a revolution that we've been able to, uh, to benefit from, uh, you know, not that it, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Um, and it's certainly not a straight line, but we've, uh, just from sort of a, a broad, you know, a macro timing perspective, we've we've been building at a really interesting time. And I think, in fact... Yeah, it was organic. It wasn't like you had a giant company and suddenly Facebook comes along and all these platforms and you have to, like, shift. You got to kind of evolved, you know, along with it. That was the, the, reality, the reality you were building. Yeah, well, and, and that's a huge advantage to be able to not have to uh, pivot your company and or... Uh, reimagine your large company. We all know that's hard in any industry. Mm-hmm. The amount of change that's come in the last 10 years in media is ludicrous. And the really scary thing is there's going to be a lot more change in the next 10 years than there's been the last 10 because the the largest piece of media uh, is, is television. Yeah. And that business sort of hasn't actually been disrupted yet. While the audiences have started to leave, it's the, the revenue has continued to grow. Um, now, I think a lot of the big traditional companies are going to weather this very well, A, by investing in and buying digital companies yeah. and sort of bringing that expertise in-house, and B, by growing and consolidating. And so obviously we've seen this with Discovery Scripts, with Fox Disney, yeah, with AT&T, Time Warner. There's going to be more consolidation happening all the way up the food chain, and there's going to be digital consolidation. Um, that was really the prediction that we made when we put group nine together was digital consolidation is coming. And I'm more convinced of that today than I was a year ago. So big digital brands coming together. There is again, like I I keep using the cable analogy, go back and go to 1985, 1990. You don't want to be a singular cable network Mm -hmm. in the wind. Um, You're not big enough to truly matter um, you're you're a nice to have, never a must have for advertisers. You don't have real leverage with the content distributors, um, you know, with the cable companies. Uh, you're it's it's hard. You don't have the same kind of access to capital. It's hard to go it alone. And the pressure on digital media companies is every bit as strong as the pressure that was on cable networks uh, in the early days. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, 
it's a tough time to go it alone. And I'm glad that we got sort of out ahead of that. And we now see ourselves as buyers, not sellers. And there are uh, plenty of independent media companies that are sellers. And so I hope to take advantage of that. Yeah, because you've seen the last couple, like last quarter, if there was not a reckoning, but you had, um, you know, BuzzFeed and Vice had numbers that were a lot lower than people thought. Mashable basically had a fire sale. Um, just in general, like it's, it, it, this, the last five years is like a whole thing about scale, 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 page views, page views, page views. Now it's shifting back to, you said original content quality, that kind of thing. I think a lot of that's the, the political environment because people are getting really serious again. But I mean, these companies, are they going to have to, is this a little, I mean, nothing goes in a straight line, but do you see them all have to come together to, like you said, consolidate to kind of keep on going? Because it's hard because if you just, if you rely just on ad revenue, it's like I said, you have to run faster to stay in the same place you were a quarter ago. But if you can build other things, whether it's community or subscriptions, or I'm sure with Thrillist, you get a lot of, or experiential, yeah. or licensing and merchandising yeah. businesses, um, or uh, content sales businesses. Yeah. I mean, there's there are other business models. I think the reality is that to be a successful media company today, you have to be good at multiple things. Yeah. And it's hard to be good at one thing. And so to be good at multiple things is really challenging. And the best way to be good at multiple things is to... Uh, is to not necessarily build every single thing yourself, yeah. but to put complementary skill sets together. And I, I think that you're going to see this happen with digital companies, and you're also going to see this happen with traditional and digital. I, I really believe that consolidation is upon us. What traditional media company to you is the most interesting? Is doing the most interesting things right now, and which kind of new age one outside of your world is doing the most interesting things? Um, it's a, it's a good question. I think uh, from a traditional perspective, there's a there's a bunch that are doing interesting things. I I would be uh, remiss not to start with Discovery and Scripts. They're our partner, and I I love the sort of boldness of that move and putting those pieces together. Really owning nonfiction uh, storytelling. Um, the strength that uh, Scripts has had from a monetization perspective the strength that Discovery has globally. I think that they uh, legitimately uh, are, are a great complement to one another. And I get you right, because it's, it's easy to translate that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's they, a nature show or it's a science show opposed to scripted fiction, which might not work in other cultures or it, other countries well, or whatever. Also the, the, the cost of scripted fiction uh, and the competition of scripted fiction, yeah. you are going to war with a combination of Netflix, Disney, uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that's a HBO. I mean, that's a, that's a very competitive space. I think that also, Discovery right, also writers and actors are real pains in the ass. <laughs> well, I, I think that that's probably the case in all uh, <laughs> creatives. Um, yes, yes, but creatives. Um, I'm so glad I'm not creative. Um, but the uh, the the thing that you, you're finding now is. Uh, I think that they're that they're really well set up, um, but even from there, they're going to need to continue to get bigger. Mm-hmm. But they have a space that they can own and carve out as their own. Um, I've always been a huge sort of admirer of of Disney. I think the thing that I love about Disney is the uh, the re- the way that they generate revenue in so many different ways um, with product and sort of offline with the theme parks. Oh, and they're, and buying with, up all, they're buying up all the IP, and so they buy yeah. the best characters and can turn that into and can turn it into movie. yeah. So I mean, I how I, about I, like news yeah. wise, like tr- traditional newsmakers, what traditional yeah. newsmakers? Yes, I mean, um, I, look, I, mean I I I would 
the the obvious answer is it's been a really incredible year for the Washington Post and the New York Times. But that's not because of business model. That's because of I that's, think our president, frankly. Well, that's because of fearlessness to go and tell uh, to 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 put uh, great journalism um, at the forefront of what they do yeah. uh, in a in a really admirable, amazing way. And so I think that, you know, they're easy to call out and they're having commercial success on the back of it, which is great mm-hmm. because they're being rewarded for doing great work. So uh, I think that what they've done is extraordinary. Uh, the reality is uh, I don't look at what's happening in traditional linear television and say, oh man, those, those folks have really figured it out. No. How would I even know? Why would I possibly be watching linear television? Yeah. Um, that's not the way that, I'm I'm young. I'm a kid. That's not how I consume, um, and and so uh, it's not to say that there's not uh, that there's not programming that I like there, but I don't. I'm not going to consume it the way that it was that the original business no, you'll, model. You'll, you'll, was st- for. you'll stream it or download it or. You know, yeah. And I think that, but I think that the owners of great IP mm-hmm. are going to be the winners. So it, there is you're going to win with one of two things. You're going to win with owning distribution. And you're going to win and or you're going to win with owning fantastic IP. And uh, in some cases, you see distribution and IP come together. So you see Comcast yeah. own great IP and obviously great distribution. Um, you're seeing uh, some companies like Netflix trying to own both themselves. Yeah. Um, you're seeing, uh, in the case of Discovery, amazing IP, uh, Discovery scripts uh, that they're building and then figuring out what those distribution relationships are going to look like. Um, as time goes on, but if you're in the middle, you're in bad, bad, bad shape. And I think that uh, it more more now than ever the importance of brand. Who's, who's impo- in the middle? I well, don't be, need I'm, to be mean no, no, on but I'm your saying what, podcast, Steve. No, uh, I'm not not calling out. But what? Okay, obviously we understand. Like, if you're a cable company or Netflix, but what sort? Well, of, let's in, go what, use, what, what industry is in the middle? What, so, uh, well, well, let's go. Let's go use. You, you used an example earlier of Mashable. So the way that I would say Mashable was stuck in the middle is they were not big enough to be a platform re- to, to to really matter, mm-hmm. um, and they were uh, not small enough to be a sort of lifestyle small niche business. Mm-hmm. And and the the thing that digital has done, um, which which is a disservice to the the, the media companies that create this idea of. If you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. More audience, more audience, more audience. Mashable had an amazing uh, grip on uh, this sort of generation of tech enthusiasts and really had a strong voice in tech. And because the business model had not yet sort of emerged for distributed content, they were forced to go and do anything they could to grow audience. Yeah. And so what that meant was, well, I guess we can rationalize covering Donald Trump well, I guess we can rationalize covering things that are not core to what our brand is really about. And what ends up happening is you dilute your brand yeah. and you get away from the reason that the brand exists in the first place. And they, they're, they, they spread too far. You, you spread or, your yeah. perfect way to say it. you just spread yourself too thin. And so I think that the idea and by the way, I felt myself doing that at Thrillist. Mm-hmm. I literally was was reading and watching content we were creating and realizing that I was making exceptions to our editorial mission or allowing the team to make exceptions to our editorial mission in uh, in an effort to grow audience because of the exact same thing we just talked about with Mashable. And ultimately what Group 9 gave us the freedom to do 
was to say, Thrillist isn't for everybody. It doesn't need to be an expert in everything. Mm -hmm. It needs to own this area of lifestyle legitimately. So go make the best stuff and own this and build a great trusted brand in this area. And then the sister site could cover. And then another brand can go and own that. And and we can collectively be big enough to matter. But we don't need to hold any of these brands hostage Mm -hmm. to endlessly grow and be be all things to all people. Because that's when you end up meaning nothing to all people. Kind of like the old Gawker model in terms of just each... That Gawker Media had all these different, you know, sites that you don't have to, you know, Gawker itself didn't have to cover everything. And yeah, well, and, and you can go and uh, I do think with Gawker there was more uh, the the brands had more in common than um, a ca- like a cable company that yeah. owns the Disney Channel and ESPN, ESPN yes. for instance. I think Gawker had a tone that ran somewhat consistently yeah. consistently through all of it um, versus. So I would say the difference between verticals and mm-hmm. brands. Um, we're big believers in this idea of building brands and brands that are that are created equal. And so the idea isn't we are the the Thrillist or the Now This or the Dota or the Seeker Media Co. that then own some other brands. Yeah. We are an, a family of equal brands. It doesn't mean that they're all as large from a monetization perspective or from an audience perspective. That's going to be in some way, shape, or form based upon the size of the category that they're owning and the sort of stage and life cycle that they're at and their ability to execute against the goals. But the reality is that we're building a, a company where each of these brands is um, is a brand. And so if someone uses the word vertical, slap on the wrist. That's yeah. not what we think of ourselves are. We think of ourselves as a collection of brands. You get to kind of start the, uh, the Bitcoin brands in. Are we going to do Bitcoin now? Let's do it. <laughs> no, let's no, do it. Another two hours. Okay. Real, and you know, before we finish up here, you mentioned in the you know the, the the last five years have been crazy disruptive for media, and you said the next five years will be even crazier. You know, fast forward five years from now, what what's this? What I mean, no one knows obviously, but what is your prediction of what this whole thing looks like? It's a it's a great question. I think uh, the 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 merging of of digital and traditional. I think is will will come to a point where it'll no longer we we won't be talking about companies in in quite that same way. I don't think we'll I don't think media dollars will be spent in TV and digital buckets. Mm-hmm. I think that the the advertising product and the way that uh, advertising efficacy is going to be measured is going to be totally cross platform. Um, I think you're going to see more um, sort of. Th- the, more of the platforms will will create standardized advertising the same way that television built unit-based advertising. I think mm-hmm. you will see more unit-based advertising that looks similar between TV and digital. I think you're just going to see uh, b- because it's it's a requirement to be able to recognize dollars at the scale that these platforms need to be able to do. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, more of a move towards um, – the importance of IP and sort of like platform or length agnostic IP. So we're there's something that we do that's awesome and we're going to make it for Snapchat and we're going to make it for Facebook and we're going to make it for the Apple store where you can buy an episode of it. And if we have a cable network, it'll be distributed on a cable network. So and the same product that can be sold in 10 different, 10 different ways. And it may actually be a different product. It may be a Bitcoin show mm-hmm. that is built one way for a Snapchat audience and another way for a Facebook audience. And it may be shot different ways and mm-hmm. it may be cut different ways and it may be different lengths. But 
um, but the underlying IP will be the same. And so, you know, the voice, and maybe maybe it's not a great example to use traditional TV IP because I think it's going to be harder for some of those folks to sort of pivot into this world. And so mm-hmm. I think probably a lot of that IP is going to be built out of digital companies. But um, you would you would not think of, and maybe this is not five years, maybe this is eight years, but you won't think of things as TV shows. You'll just think of things as a franchise, and that franchise is going to live in the places that you live as a consumer. And then if you're a company, you, if you're an advertiser, you can buy against that IP, and you don't care if it's on TV or on Snapchat or on you know, Facebook. Exactly. Just, you're there with... I want to be... The voice matters. It, it's a breakthrough cultural sensation. People care, and I want to be there as a part of that experience. Wherever there is. Understanding there. that a part of that experience, that that audience, if you measure it with Nielsen Television... It's going to be smaller next year than it is this year, and it's going to be smaller the year after than it is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that the voice is not relevant, but it means that right now the way that the sort of measurement works and the way that the advertising business works is you really get credit for your TV part, and the rest of it is sort of thrown in and Mm -hmm. or doesn't get the credit. And I think that as the shift continues to happen to to the mobile video consumption, uh, you're going to see that that's that's just going to have to change, and brands are going to have to rethink how they're – spending their media dollars, how they're telling stories in these platforms. And I, I feel very uh, confident we'll see, you know, five years is a long time. We'll see massive moves here. And I think, uh, I think it, if, you, if you stay fully married to the exact traditional TV model that you've had as a TV company, in five years you're going to be a little bit unhappy. Mm-hmm. I think if you focus on taking advantage of uh, – if you sort of embrace this change as an opportunity and and really um, make certain that you uh, you understand how to make content for all of these platforms and sort of repackage and reposition content, mm. um, that you change the way that you talk to your advertising base, uh, and I think most importantly, or maybe equally importantly, that you uh, that you think globally, and I think that that you know the world has gotten so much smaller now. Um, these these digital distribution platforms are totally global in nature so in tv you needed to go and do a thousand business development deals and set up networks and set up you know everywhere now you can be a global media company with these social media companies with with real uh much more quickly and more inexpensively and i think that that um, is a place where uh that's an advantage that digital media will have from a monetization perspective that's not being talked enough about right now the facebook's the youtube's instagram's only more powerful in five years yes um, now you know on a platform by platform basis w- exactly how that looks. Yeah. I don't know. But I just that whole that group that group more powerful now. I think probably Amazon emerges as a major player in that group, um, and we probably talk about Amazon when we talk about content in mm-hmm. a way that maybe you know we sort of start to to you know dabble around the edges now. Um, but those companies, and by the way, what does Apple look like in that group? Yeah, I don't absolutely. know. Um, but They're all putting billions into into original content, and yeah. So, so including Apple. So, what this says though is, it's a good time to be one of those platforms, obviously, and it's a good time to be a creator of great original IP because you have a bunch of platforms that need it and that are going to value it, and that is uh, that's an advantage that. Uh, digital or linear businesses that uh, are in the business of making and owning great IP are going to have. Amazing. Well, I think that's a great place to end. Um, I want to thank Ben Lear, the CEO of Group 9 and managing partner of Lear Hippo. Thanks for coming on. 
Very well done again. We didn't even get to talk about VC stuff. That might have to be coming That's crazy. For another, I can't believe we didn't do that. Because you talk too much about media. That's I'm sorry. How, that's, how well, it goes. that's very rude of you. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. Steve, awesome. great seeing you. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our Spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.